Thanks for joining us for Life Vineyard Church. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Liz, and I'm one of the lead pastors here at Life. Um, Now, I know that everyone's kind of gearing up for the Super Bowl, right? Everybody's thinking about the Super Bowl this coming week, but I'll just let you in on a little secret if you don't know me that much. Um, I'm not that much of a football fan, okay? I, you know, I'll show up, I'll watch the game, mostly for the culture of, you know, it's fun, but I'm not that much of a football fan. I'm not even really that much of a Taylor Swift fan, okay? So I'm just going to watch it because it's what we do, but I'm going to have fun anyways. Um, But I will tell you that something I, a sport that I like better is running, okay? I like running, and I'm going to introduce you to a name this morning that maybe you haven't heard of, okay? So get ready for this. Elliot Kipchoge. Anybody heard of Elliot Kipchoge? Okay, a few. Okay, all right. We see each other. Um, he is one of the greatest marathoners in the entire world, okay, of all time. In 2016 and in 2020, he won the Olympic marathon. Um, In 2022, he was the world record holder of the marathon for the time of two hours, one minute and nine seconds, okay? Now, he has run the fastest marathon of all time, breaking the two-hour mark. But he did it in like a curated event that was to break the two-hour marathon to see if he could do it. He did it, so it's not a public like world record because that event was just curated for him. But he is the all-time best marathoner. Now, let me give you an idea of how fast he runs, okay? So has anybody walked or run on a treadmill before? Yeah? Okay? So you know what, how you push the buttons up to, like, get faster? And Okay, so, like, an average run for me might be at six miles an hour, okay? And that's a 10-minute per mile. Now, if you were to bump up your treadmill speed as high as it could go, it would cap out around 12 miles per hour. And that would be like an athlete sprinting as fast as they could to keep up with the belt. But Elliot, he runs faster than that for his marathon, okay? He caps out around 13 miles per hour. And that is a four and a half minute mile for the duration of a marathon, which is 26.2 miles, okay? So that's like running from here to Farmer City and back again at four and a half minutes per mile. It's fast. It's fast. Okay. And here's his personal slogan. No human is limited. And that works out pretty well for him, okay? (laughs) No human is limited. Now, that sounds invigorating, right? Do you want to get on and go outside and run to Farmer City with me right now? (sighs) Okay, I have always been, like, awed by sports um, that defy the odds of, of human abilities, right? Like, that's why I love the Olympics. I love every 
sport and event mostly because I love to see people push past their limitations. Like that's invigorating for me personally. I, that's why I love the marathon as well. I like to push past my limitations. And for the most part, well, maybe not for the most part, but for some part, I do agree with his slogan, no human is limited, in the sense of when you are running, um, especially a long-distance event, you become acutely aware of all the self-limiting beliefs that you carry around in your brain. Because a lot of times they say running is mostly in your mind, right? You're battling the thoughts and the expectations that you have on what you can do. And so it becomes um, managing your own mind as you perform this sport. Now, maybe you were told as a kid, or maybe you just know the concept that we say, like, oh, you can be whatever you want to be when you grow up, right? You, can, you have any opportunity, you can take it. But when we get older, we realize that's not really true, right? <laughs> I could quit my job right now. I could throw myself into full-time athletic training, and I won't get even close to the kind of performer that Elliot Kipchoge is. I won't probably even become a professional female marathoner. I'm just gonna have to just swallow that, that that's probably not in the cards for me. I'm probably just gonna have to keep my job and be a recreational runner and do the best that I can do. Last week, um, Greg gave an excellent message in our series um, called Come Alive. And in our series, we're talking about ways that we come alive as people in the kingdom, as followers of Jesus. And coming alive is not, it's not the way that we might think it is. It's not like based on that success script that Greg talked about, where we wake up with all the things in our mind that we have to do, the things that we have to prove and follow so that we can become the best, and succeed, and all those things. Coming alive in the kingdom actually involves some unconventional methods. And here is the kingdom truth for today. An indicator of a mature disciple is joyfully living within our God-given limits. I'll say it again, an indicator of a mature disciple is joyfully living within our God-given limits. Yes, limits. I'm talking about limits, not our limit, limitlessness of humans, but that we do have limits as humans. We were created with limits. So let's go back to the Garden of Eden and the creation story this is where God created Adam and Eve, and he gave them enormous freedom. They were given um, meaningful work and calling to be fruitful, to multiply, to care for creation, to govern creation. They had a very wonderful calling, but they also had limitations. They were to surrender to God's ultimate authority. So in Genesis, 
2, 15 through 17, this is what it says. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may eat, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are to surely die. So this was, in fact, a good boundary that the Lord set up for Adam and Eve. He supplied all of their needs. Everything was given to them. They were not without lack. But he set up a boundary to not eat of the tree of good and evil. And the enemy came along, and he twisted that boundary. And he convinced Adam and Eve that God is actually withholding something good, right? That they are in lack. And they planted doubt in their mind about who God was and God's good authority and boundaries. He planted doubt in their minds. They took this bait of the enemy, and they ate of the fruit. And they tried to be like God, knowing good and evil. And it damaged them. It hurt them. Now, when Jesus came to earth, he's often referred to as the second Adam. And what that means is that Jesus comes along and he faces similar um, temptations and he comes to reverse the consequences of the harm and the sin and the death that Adam and Eve brought. And he faces these temptations from the enemy, but he does so faithfully without sin. He is victorious. So um, some of his early temptations are in the desert wilderness, somewhere you don't want to go, right? A very barren place. So he goes to the wilderness from the leading of the Holy Spirit, no less. And he comes out of this wilderness experience triumphant and victoriously. And you know how he does it? By embracing limitations. So let's look. Um, We're going to look in Matthew 4 at some of these temptations that are brought to Jesus as he faithfully moves through this wilderness time. So Matthew 4, 1, and this is in the NLT version. It's up on the screen. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus enters this wilderness time, this time of testing, first by limiting himself from physical food, right? The Holy Spirit leads him to this time and leads him to fasting for 40 days. And by embracing that limitation and dependence on food, what fasting does is um, embracing that weakness he uses that weakness to focus on prayer and to use the fuel of the power of God, the Holy Spirit coming upon him 
for the victory instead of just the food. And so the enemy comes to him and he says, prove that you are the son of God by performing a miracle. Hey, turn these stones into bread. Maybe sourdough bread, anybody? Okay. (laughs) And we're motivated by similar temptations, right? We often feel plagued that we need to prove ourselves, prove who we are, that we are worth it, that we have worth and value. And we feel like we have to prove that by what we do, what we have to show of our lives. Or we can even spiritualize it by saying, you know, like we're supposed to do good for other people. We're supposed to do something great for other people. And so we wrongly tie our identity to doing. And it's hard to separate those things. Um, Author and pastor Henry Nouwen, he said this, Beneath all the great accomplishments of our time, there is a deep current of despair. While efficiency and control are the great aspirations of our society, the loneliness Isolation, lack of friendships, intimacy, broken relationships, boredom, feelings of emptiness and depression, and a deep sense of uselessness fill the hearts of millions of people in our success-oriented world. See, accomplishments never fully satisfy. We have to find our being first in the love of God. That is when our souls are satisfied. Now, Jesus embraces his limitations of not having to prove his worth in this temptation. He doesn't have to prove that he's the son of God. He trusts that God is going to reveal at, his, at the right time who he is. He doesn't have to shortchange the plan and do it. Now, sometimes when we're told, hey, you can't do that, or you're not like that, doesn't that often like spark the fire in you to be like, well, I'm going to prove them wrong, right? I'm going to show the world that I can do this or that I am like this. But not Jesus. When he is accused of not being who he says he is, that he's not really the son of God unless he performs this miracle of changing the stones into bread. He doesn't have to prove. He's already firmly established in his identity as the beloved. He knows the Father's love for him. Do you know the deep love of the Father for you? Or have you experienced it recently? You know, maybe we know it cognitively, but we need to experience it. And maybe it's been a while, and you need to have an experience of the deep love of the Father over your life. Author Todd Bolsinger of the book Tempered Resilience, he once attended a dinner 
where there was a Catholic nun as the speaker. And the only reason that that was uh, unusual was that the dinner was a gathering of triathletes at Ironman Canada in 2006. And this nun, her name is Sister Madonna Butter, was not there to just give a nice invocation prayer, you know, like you might assume a nun would be there for. Um, But she was actually a veteran participant asked to say a few words to encourage her fellow competitors. And she was nicknamed the Iron Nun. She would become the 2012 world record holder in her age group and the oldest person at 82 to complete the 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, and remember 26.2, what distance is that? Yes, and the 26.2-mile run of the Ironman Triathlon. So that evening, her message was simple. Tomorrow, when things get tough out there, remember, you were loved into existence. If you get discouraged and want to quit, if you get injured and can't finish, if things don't go the way you hope, Even though you have trained for this day for months or even years, even then, remember, you were loved into existence. A competitor herself with several age group world records in several running events to her name, what she wanted to do and remind the group of dedicated athletes that the most important thing about them was true before they had even performed at all. It's beautiful. The Father's unconditional love is what formed you. It's what holds you here right now in your seat. His love is what will hold you for the rest of your days into eternity. And that is the most real and true thing about you over and above anything you're going to accomplish in this life. You are loved by God. Is God really with you? That's the second question that the enemy throws at Jesus in the wilderness. Satan takes Jesus to the highest point of the holy city and challenges him by saying, if you are the Son of God, Throw yourself down from this spot, which scholars say was about 300 feet of a fall. Throw yourself down from this fall and see if angels will come to your rescue. So, of course, Satan is being manipulative here, like he always is. And he tells Jesus, hey, why don't you test God right now? See if he's really with you like like you say he is. Jump down, show, show, jump down off this spot and see if, if he's going to show himself and lift you up with angels. Then people will know that you're really God's son. But Jesus knew God's abundant care for him. He trusted God's timetable, that there was a plan, a place in time where miracles were to be performed where he was to be revealed as God's son, where he was to be shown that God's 
presence was with him. But that wasn't this moment. He didn't have to do something spectacular to show that God's presence was with him. God, or Jesus followed his God-given limits when he was here on earth, and he surrendered to the loving Father's timetable, his plan, which is mind-boggling when you think that Jesus is God, right? He, had, he, he is God. And yet he submitted to the love of the Father. Limits are a good gift from God. They remind us that we don't have to live under the chronic pressure to do all of the things expected of us. We were created to live within our limits so that we can live with margin in our life, so that we can have enough space and emotional capacity to receive the Father's love, to receive the identity that is given to us. Then the third temptation. This is in verse 8 of Matthew 4. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And Satan left. And then the angels did come to him. And they ministered to him. They fed him. They cared for him. But Jesus received this slow work of suffering and going to the cross instead of saying, yes, all that is in this world that you're showing me is mine. Jesus was at creation. He was the action of God's words at creation. All the kingdoms were already his. But yet the, the enemy said, it could be all yours right now. You don't have to follow that plan of suffering and going to the cross. The very one that he asked the, the Lord, please, if there's another way. Jesus embraced his limitations. And by that, he won the inner victory over his identity, over his worth, over his control of the plan of God. He accepted his limits and worshipped his Father, who is infinite. So two questions we can ask ourselves when talking about limitations. What limits do you need to receive as you trust God? What limits do you need to receive? And then what limits is God asking you to break through to be the person he made you. So sometimes we need to accept the limits in our life, on, in our own humanness, right? So we have personal limitations on our energy, our time, um, our family, our work, maybe the season of life we find ourselves in. And we need to accept those limitations so that we can still have margin that we need in our life for rest for being with Jesus. 
And then sometimes we have these self-inflicted limitations, right? Where we think, oh, we can't ever do something different. We can't change. And we need to break through those limits so that we can partner with who God says we are and walk into truth. So maybe you might, you might have thoughts like these. I can't change my limits because my work will suffer if, if I stop. I won't be happy until this house is clean. Guilty. <laughs> I'm a failure if I don't get it all done. I don't have time to rest. I don't know how to rest. I can't leave the house. All these people need me. I just don't feel content until everything is done and checked off the list. I have to keep up with all the demands. Maybe those things play in the background of your mind. You know, you're not like always consciously thinking them, but they're there. They're little filters that play into why you keep going and why you keep working and why you don't stop and rest. Now, you know, God set up for his people in the book of Exodus a weekly Sabbath, a day of rest. It's one of the Ten Commandments, and he blessed this day, and he called it holy. God blesses Sabbath rest as holy. Holy means it's set apart and sacred as something very important to God. And in the Jewish understanding, the Sabbath reminded people that they were finite. And to honor human limitations was to honor the infinite God who also worked and rested when he created the world back in the book of Genesis. And Jewish days start at sunset. So they're opposite of what, you know, we wake up and, oh, it's the day. Here's all the things I have to do, right? That's our success script that, that um, Greg was talking about. Our days start when the sun gets up and our mind is like ready to tackle the world. But Jewish days start at sunset. So they start the day and they start Sabbath by entering into food around the table, family, lighting candles, and they even pull up a chair um, that represents God's presence at the table. So Sabbath becomes uh, entering in to this love and friendship with God that you don't earn, but you receive. So what would it look like for you to say no to the compulsions of this life and choose intentional rest this week and ongoingly in your life? Because it's not just this week that we're talking about it. This is, this is how we follow Jesus. Because whatever is going on internally is how people experience, experience us externally. We think, oh, we can just keep it all in and no one's going to know. But it comes out. So there's lots of ways that we can slow down and make more margin in our life. And maybe, like, you're sitting here now and you know, like, you can just, you know the thing that God is nudging you towards. Or maybe you need some time for God to reveal it to you. But you can ask yourself, how am I overextending myself? How am I 
feeling, you know, burnt out and grumpy about something. Grumpiness is always my first indicator that I'm overextending myself. <laughs> when I'm snippy and grumpy, it's like, oh, I haven't taken enough time to rest. Dan is on the loving other side of that, who gives me kindness even when I don't deserve it. So here are my call to action for you um, this week around limitations. Um, I can invite the band back up as I talk through these. Now, you know that I always talk about Lectio 365, but it's an app that I really love. So you just go to your app store. These first two suggestions are apps. So Lectio 365 is a daily devotional tool. You can listen to it. You can read it. It's like 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes at night. Choose one. Choose both. It's a meditative way to be with Scripture, to pray, to be in the presence of God. It's so restorative, and it brings that peace and rest that your soul needs. The Pause app is a new one that I've just learned about. This is, you can go on there and you can do a one-minute pause, a three-minute pause, a five-minute pause. You can have notifications on your phone that say, at 10 a.m. and 2 p.m., I'll take a pause. And it'll just like show the little pause symbol up on your notifications. And I see it, and I'm like, I don't have time to take a pause. I got stuff to do. I don't want to take a pause. This is me. And I'm like, okay, fine, I'll take a pause, you know? And I play the little sound bite. And it's just about giving everything and everyone to God and coming back into that loving union with God. And after I do that, I haven't gone past three minutes. But once I do that, you realize, I realize, like, oh, yeah, my soul wasn't living in rest. I wasn't living in that place. I was just doing, because that's what we do. We do. And so there's ways that we need to remind ourselves that we were created for union and rest and love in God. You can even... Do a 24-hour Sabbath. Put it in your schedule and say, you know what? Today, like a Sunday, I am not going to stress about that problem. I'm not going to check my email. I'm not going to do that thing that causes me stress. I'm going to let go of that stress for 24 hours and instead plan some type of rejuvenating, restful, whatever it is for you, you know? Maybe it's walking hanging out, playing guitar, running to Farmer City, I don't know, <laughs> and back. I mean, that would be, yeah. Plan restful activities for your soul. Do that this week and the next and the next. So let's pray as we enter into worship. God, thank you for creating us with limits that we're not end, we're not, we don't have endless capabilities. That's you, God. You are God. And we acknowledge you as God, creator, holy, amazing, and awesome one. Show us the ways that we are overextending ourselves. Let us let go of the control over our own lives so that we can worship 
you and be restored. God, would you pour out your love on us now? Holy Spirit, I just ask for an infilling of your love this morning. That we first and foremost know that we know that we know that we know that we are loved. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill this place with your presence as we worship. We love you, Jesus. Amen. That you would receive and experience the love of the Father. That his love envelops you. It is all around you and it is in you. that you would just show us and reveal to us any lies that we are believing that keep us from receiving the love of the Father. Do you know that the enemy, he only lies? That's the only thing he does. And the lies that you hear in your mind, like it, it often sounds like, oh yeah, that's believable, but it's not. Holy Spirit, reveal to us, each one of us, a lie that we are believing. That's attached to our identity, our worth, our success. Show it to us, Lord. And we make the great exchange. We take that lie and we give it to you. And would you pour out your love and fill that space even in our mind where that that lie has taken up actual space would you pour out your love in deeper measure that the the greatest thing about you is that you were formed in love you are love love goes before you and holds you his love was poured out for you on the cross. It's a great privilege to hold your love, Jesus, and know it. May we not dismiss it or get too far ahead of it. But show us how we can rest in it. And now I'm going to bless you with the lyrics of the song that we just heard from number six. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. And all God's people said, amen. At Life Vineyard Church, we want you to experience the life-changing presence of God. We'd love to have you join our community 
We meet every Sunday in Muhammad, Illinois. To find out more, go to lifevineyard.org, lifevineyard.org.